0: Cat's at night. Now here's John Katzamitidis on the line. Andy McCarthy is a columnist for the National Review. He also served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Welcome back to Cat's at night, Andy McCarthy.
1: Andy, thanks it's, so uh, for
0: having me.
1: Andy, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to talk to you about the uh, the latest verdict. the second verdict they've had with uh, the Durham prosecutions. And you 've written articles about this, and I think it's very, very important. People keep saying that Durham is losing and I say, as you said in your articles, you have to look at the biggest story. The biggest story is the report. Would you explain that to our listeners?
0: Yeah, judge, I think his case has or his investigation I think the the um, the big ticket item has always been the report that he would do at the end. I think that is the reason why then attorney general Barr, in one of the last things he did before leaving the trump administration was formally naming uh, durham as a special counsel because unlike the normal prosecutor like when i was an assistant u.s attorney in manhattan uh when we closed the case we just moved on to the next case you know we don't get to write a public report about what happened but because uh special counsels usually look into uh, at least allegations of government corruption Uh, And because they're quasi-independent of the uh, normal chain of command of the Justice Department, they get to write a report at the end. And as we saw with the Mueller investigation, those reports uh, generally get uh, released in large part to the public. And I've always thought that uh, having looked at this very closely over the years, a lot of things that are in the nature of abuse of government power are not violations of the criminal law. So if you're going to get accountability for, uh, you know, potential government misconduct in a, in, a, in the investigation of a case here, the Trump-Russia investigation, you're really going to need a narrative report. And that was really the most important thing. Now, I think it was a calculated risk for Durham to bring these cases against really minor players on, you know, some of these charges that he brought. You have to kind of scratch your head because – they weren't very strong cases, and he brought them in places where the jury pool was clearly not going to be good for him, and he had to know that the acquittals were going to cause his critics to say that whatever he says in his final report should be dismissed because his cases all were rejected by juries. So, but so, I do still think it's the most important thing, that
1: I agree with you. And what, and what came out from the evidence uh, produced at the trial that's so important is the relationship with some of the FBI officials in terms of how they conduct themselves, what they knew, what they suppressed, what their agenda was. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, the most important I, – I would say two things that, uh, that came out. Um, one was the FBI offered Christopher Steele, who was the former British spy who wrote the infamous Steele dossier, these um, sort of innuendo and rumor allegations against Trump – they offered him a million dollars if he could verify his claims, and he couldn't. But the importance of that is, uh, you know, I know it's shocking to people on its face that it that it happened, but the real importance I think is, under federal law, they're not allowed to bring information to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court unless it's been verified first. So if you're offering someone a million dollars to corroborate their information, that means it's not verified. And yet they went to the court four times and swore to it. And then the second thing is, before the third one, they finally got around to interviewing Danchenko, who was the main source for the Steele dossier. He told them the Steele dossier was a bunch of nonsense, and they not only didn't go back to the court and correct the record, they went back two more times to get surveillance warrants relying on the same information, and they, in fact, told the court that they had spoken – to Steele's source and found him to be cooperative and truthful. But what they left out was that what he was cooperative and truthful about was that Steele's information was bogus. So I think that's pretty outrageous.
1: And then, of course, that then led to the Mueller investigation. Isn't that correct?
0: The uh, you mean the I think what led what led to the Mueller investigation more than anything else, I think, was the firing of Comey. That was, when the, um, that was when the big push was made to bring uh, a special counsel in, and that was decided by Rod Rosenstein, who was the deputy attorney general at the time.
1: But the Ed Cox here. But, Andrew, isn't the two trials that, uh, that the special counsel has done, doesn't it bring out, under sworn testimony, make it public, all the information that he puts in his report, and then the report itself is more credible as a result?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right, Ed. And I think the challenge for um, you know people who want to convey to the public what the report will honestly say, uh, you know, to try to give them a an accurate interpretation of it, is that it's true that these two people, uh, Danchenko, Igor Danchenko, and Michael Sussman, the the DNC lawyer, it's true that they were acquitted, but. The information that came out about the FBI in these investigations was not refuted. It came out from FBI agents' own testimony. And a large part of the explanation, I think, for why these guys were acquitted was that whatever wrong they did, it paled in comparison to the misconduct of the FBI. And if you're a juror sitting there listening to all this – you got to be scratching your head and saying, "Why are they indicting these guys when the FBI lied to the court?"
1: Or in the suspect case, well, why the FBI knew he was lying? Why did they let him lie? <laughs> quote right, and, quote. and
0: then cover it up, and then cover it up from their own exactly. investigators. They yeah. didn't want to tell their own investigators who supplied the information.
1: Yeah, and there's another issue I want to raise with you, Andy, and that's uh, the allegations from uh, Senator Grassley about the Chinese yeah. government. Ma- allegedly making uh, payments to uh, the Biden uh, family interests and uh, perhaps the vice president of the United States. As vice time. president, wow, uh, that's huge. After after you know the payment was made after he left the vice presidency for conduct allegedly did while he vice president. What do you know about that, Andy?
0: Yeah, well, so I want to make sure that we're we're being fair to uh, President Biden, just like we tried to be fair to to President Trump. So what what Senator Grassley has alleged is very explosive if he can prove it. Um, What we all thought who followed this closely up until now, that is that the Biden family uh, began this transaction with this arm of the Chinese communist party and the, and the government and president Xi, this outfit called CEFC. We all thought that that transaction began in February, 2017 when Biden was already out of office. Senator Grassley now says he's gotten whistleblower information from disgruntled FBI agents who say the Bureau is sitting on evidence that part of the $6 million that CEFC paid the Biden family in 2017 was for services rendered while Biden was vice president that were helpful to... Oh,
1: my CEFC. God. That's now, a big deal, isn't it, Andy, if that's yeah, true? Yeah, if you right. can prove so, it.
0: Right. So if that turns out to be true... But what I've tried to do in in reporting on this is is simply say this is what Senator Grassley says. What Senator Grassley didn't include in his letter was what the hard information is for that proposition. So he's told us that he's gotten this from FBI whistleblowers, but he hasn't described what it was that Biden allegedly did for CEFC that would make them want to pay him. Uh, retrospectively. So I think until we get that evidence, uh, you know, I think what I would say about this is it's very intriguing. It absolutely deserves to be investigated. But I'm not going to get out ahead of it and say that, you know, we know for sure that Biden did something improper in this instance.
1: Is this related to uh, to the deal that uh, Hunter Biden signed up two weeks after he made the trip? On Air Force Two to China with the Vice President, and introduce some people to the Vice President. In the process over there.
0: Yeah, at, at, you know, here's the worst thing. That deal is probably worse than the CEFC deal. The yeah. CEFC deal is the one that's gotten the uh, most of the attention up until now, and I think that's because it's documented. And there's a witness, you know, it's in connection with the CESC that we hear this thing about 10 percent for the big guy. And this guy, Tony Bobolinski, went public. He was the one the Bidens brought in to build the corporate structure of it. But the transaction you're talking about, uh, which was with a different uh, component of of people who were associated with the Chinese government, was this cabal associated with China – they put together $3 billion for purposes of investment that they partnered up with the, the Bidens line. $3 billion with a B. And it's like the Bank of China and some other Chinese components. And this outfit did transactions that were very much against the interests of the United States. They gave them – they were able to acquire dual-use technology, which helps them fill gaps where their technology is insufficient on military stuff. And they also were able to, to obtain a coveted cobalt mine in Africa. And people should understand this it, is like a, a 2 billion or $3 billion transaction on its own. People should understand cobalt is essential in the manufacture of electric car batteries. You know, so these electric cars that the uh, president Biden wants us all in, um, they helped the Chinese acquire this this uh, immense cobalt field that, you know, we probably like to have for ourselves. So,
1: so this whole thing about uh, forcing General Motors to make electric cars by 2035, the whole thing in California of of requiring electric cars by 2035, 100%, it's all about the Chinese and about their batteries. Mm.
0: And uh, how else are you going to say it? John, I, John, I, it's true, and I wish right. we could say that it was only batteries, because while we're sitting here, China's buying up all kinds of ores and precious metals that are needed for oil. And all we gave them all the lithium
1: in them. Afghanistan.
0: Yep, yep. I mean,
1: this is, you know, if somebody in the Justice Department doesn't get up and say enough is enough, somebody has to say it. And I, I, you know, even Christopher Ray has to get up and say enough is enough. And uh, if I was Christopher Ray, I'd get up and say enough is enough. And I, I resign. If you want, you want to fire me, fire me. But the truth is the truth. Mm-hmm. Speaking about the truth, Andy, what's going on with the Delaware grand jury being led by uh, the uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss? What's taking so long in that investigation? Was it four years out on on Hunter Biden's activities?
0: Yeah, you know, some of these things. This is not. Um... People should understand we're not talking about, like, a sophisticated insider trading or some, you know, abstruse crime. These are pretty straightforward criminal offenses that we're talking about here. One of them involves making a false statement on uh, uh, application for a a firearm. That's That's minor league crimes.
1: We're selling – who cares about the damn gun in Delaware? We're selling the whole country down the – you know. Down the, down the sewer. But, but that's, is, isn't that within the scope of the you grand guys jury investigation? Lawyers. You're worried about that. I'm not,
0: worried about the whole country. No, no, well, no, I, look, I, I have written that, like, we should be calling this the Biden family investigation, not the Hunter investigation. And I think the Hunter stuff is a sideshow. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's about Hunter's axe matter or the gun that he got. Um, but I do think those are crimes. And the, what the judge was asking me is quite right. If it was the normal person, we'd have been prosecuted for that by now. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Andy McCarthy. Thank you, as always, for your insight and come back anytime. Thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.